you read novels and poetry, we visit museums and exhibitions, cities and important monuments, we listen to music. Why? Is it a case of what has been called aesthetic pleasure? Obviously, we like to do all these things, even if for philosophers it is not easy to determine the exact nature of the pleasure we are supposed to experience. But it remains to be seen why we like, for example, to listen to music or read a novel. After all, why silence is not far more preferable or to jog, for example. Psychologists or sociologists give numerous and divergent answers on this topic. I will not comment on them. The answer I want to sketch is quite different. To simply state it for the moment, I will defend the idea of that the existence of art is strongly related to the desire, the desire that human beings have for God. But many philosophers would ask why, when it comes to the notion of art and our aesthetic attitude, the notion of God and of the supposed human desire for God could be relevant. Then I will begin by giving the reasons why the thesis I'm defending is clearly not dominant in contemporary philosophy and totally absent from the common conceptions in the human and social sciences. In what has been called aesthetics as a discipline, art is fundamentally linked to a certain kind of experience and pleasure, specifically aesthetic. Art and natural things give rise to this specific experience and pleasure. <coughs> Numerous philosophers have thus judged that philosophy must question the nature of aesthetic experience and of aesthetic pleasure. Conse consequently, Aesthetics is mainly devoted to the description of this assumed experience. <coughs> it pretends to show, aesthetics pretends to show how this experience arises and why it is pleasurable. What has been called aesthetics <coughs> since the 18th century is mainly such a philosophical program. This project is linked to what has been the turning point taken by modern philosophy. The idea that we have access only to our own representations of things in our experience. So we have no direct access and even we never access according to many modern philosophers, to think themselves. Hence, it would be only in terms of our own and even private experience that we apprehend the nature, sense and value of things. And it is not the nature, sense and value that things really have that we objectively apprehend. Certainly, in a cognitive experience, our representation of things is directed towards reality or the reality, even if the idea that one could reach, that one could reach it would be for most modern philosophers an, an illusion. In the case of the aesthetic experience, so it is claimed, we do not even try to reach a reality. The aesthetic experience is directed towards our, rep our representations of things and not at all towards things in the world. Thus, the 
the aesthetic experience is the effect produced on us not by an external reality situated in the world, but by mental representations. In aesthetic experience, we are supposed to experience our own interiority. As it has been said by some of the most renowned philosophers, especially phenomenologists. But it already was Kant's, Kant's claim in the first paragraph of the Critique of Judgment. In the aesthetic experience, he says, I quote, the subject feels itself as affected by the representation by the representation. And since Kant, for most modern philosophers, aesthetic life is then not related to the world, but consists, it consists mainly in a relation of the mind to itself. Consequently, aesthetics is a philosophical discipline in charge of examining mainly two things. Firstly, a specific relation, the one of the mind to itself, when the things of the world count less than the effect felt on our own representations. And secondly, the alleged specific pleasure we feel when we have an aesthetic experience. The philosophical doctrine just sketched, the one inherited from Kant, is today implied in much of the art discourse well beyond philosophy. In the aesthetic experience, we would learn nothing about the world, and not more about certain aesthetic properties that things would possess and that would make them pleasant. These aesthetic properties, just like the objects in the world <coughs> of our aesthetic experience, are themselves only aspects of our representations. They are not real. Nothing is really beautiful. It is only us who see something as beautiful due to our own experience. And this experience is not supposed to be faithful to anything. When we attribute to things properties such as being beautiful, moving, elegant, ugly or disgusting. We cannot be faithful to anything except our own mental representations. <coughs> right or wrong would, would even not make sense in aesthetic situations. There would be finally no relation between, on one hand, the fact that certain things in the words are works of art and uh, or the fact that certain things in the world possess aesthetic properties and on the other hand our aesthetic life. This conception also has an ontological and metaphysical counterpart. That is to say as regards the existence and the nature of works of art. According to most of modern aestheticians, we could not say that works of art exist in the world, that certain things are really works of art. A thing would be art only by the way we look at, him, at it. This claim is typical of the aesthetics and philosophy of art today. It is even considered as one of its great discoveries 
of modern times in philosophy. We could simply note that we engage in a certain kind of experience, aesthetic experience, and feel a certain kind of pleasure, aesthetic pleasure, and we could note also that we call certain things works of art. Even if we disagree about the definition of this notion, the notion of, of work of art, and what it means to something to be a work of art. But we could not affirm that works of art are real things in this world with properties we could apprehend rightly or not. My intention now is to try to show that this modern account defining a large part of aesthetics as a discipline is not the best description of our aesthetic life. It is not more the best way to understand what art is. I rather propose to renew some insights borrowed from Thomas Aquinas. In uh, this Thomistic uh, tradition, human beings are defined as rational animals. Part of what it means is, is that from what exists naturally, the human being is able to add things to the world, artifacts. Artifacts man products, products are of two sorts, tools and symbols. For example, a hammer is a tool, a map is a symbol. A hammer is, uh, is used primarily in a certain activity in order to achieve a result such as planting a nail, or what you want. A map fulfills its function by meaning something, which is the function of a symbol. Works of art also function or mean, but in a specific way, aesthetically. This aesthetic functioning supposes the possession of aesthetic properties. <coughs> Thus, a work of art can be defined as an artifact, a product of human rationality, which works aesthetically according to its aesthetic properties. A work of art thus belongs to the ontological intersection of two sets, that of things that are artifacts and that of things that have aesthetic properties. What works of art among all the things in the world, uh, what sort of things uh, they are, is, is then not uh, not really mysterious. Now, a work of art is an entity that really exists, but always in constitutive relation <coughs> to human being capable of, un of understanding by apprehending aesthetic properties what a work of art means. Constitutive means that works of art as artifacts depend for their existence on rational beings as we are. They depend causally, of course, but they also depend ontologically on human beings. To exist depending ontologically on something else is not at all, not to exist or to exist less. To exist this way is even 
the mode of existence of artifacts and among them of works of art. For those who think that everything in the world depends on the creator of all things, that a dependent existence is a real existence is of course not a problem even if the relation of dependence in both cases is not of course uh, the same. The apprehension of aesthetic properties of work of art of works of art presupposes more precisely the existence of the kind of beings we are, both sensible and rational. These beings are sensitive because it is through their senses that they maintain a relationship with the world and especially with the works of art in this world. It means that these, these beings are material and corporeal like non-rational animals, but quite differently because they are able to apprehend meanings, to understand symbols, and among them, those symbols whose functioning is aesthetic. So the sufficient reason for which there is art in our world and for which we have an aesthetic life is that there are beings such as we are, rational animals. This is said by, uh, this way by Thomas Aquinas and I quote uh, Summa Theologiae 191.3 Three. The senses, I quote, the senses are given to man not only for the purpose of procuring the necessaries of life for which they are bestowed on other animals, but also for the purpose of knowledge. Hence, whereas the other animals take delight in the objects of the sense only as order to food and sex, man alone takes pleasure in the beauty of sensible objects for its own sake. There is thus a correspondence between what we are as human beings and what the works of art by themselves are. In both cases, they, these are material things, uh, in, both, um, uh, in both cases, these are material things in the world, and in both cases, what they are is not exhausted by their materiality. On the one hand, human beings are rational, that is, they understand what things are and what they mean. And uh, on the other hand, works of art are not reducible to material things because they mean something and have aesthetic properties. In the created world, at the same ontological level, we therefore have natural things, human beings, and artifact, artifacts that, that they produce. This ontological level is that mix and hybrid zone in the scale of beings, where beings are both corporal and spiritual. We are now, we are now far from the sort of thesis with which I began, <coughs> namely that 
what matters in aesthetics is the experience of some sort that we are supposed to have by turning to our mental representations without consideration to the way things are in the world. This account that I have presented as characteristic of a large part of modern philosophy. On the contrary, the following statements are made. One, aesthetic properties are really possessed by the things to which they are rightly attributed, so they are not secondary properties. <coughs> Two, works of art are artifacts which function aesthetically. And three, we are made thanks to our rationality, which is a mark of our spirituality, to apprehend in natural things and works of art those properties by which they signify and in particular their aesthetic properties which are meaningful. Now perhaps you regret that in this account the notion of aesthetic <coughs> experience completely disappeared. Was it not necessary, this notion of aesthetic properties, of uh, aesthetic experience, was it not necessary to characterize what our aesthetic life is? Can we really do without it, contrary to what modern philosophers thought? My answer is positive. I think to have much better that than this notion of aesthetic experience to describe our aesthetic life. And what I have, uh, uh, what I propose is the notion of aesthetic virtue. What is meant here by, by virtue is a human disposition or a human dispositional quality by which we excel and thus realize as much as possible our nature. When it comes to the virtues, one obviously thinks of the cardinal virtues, prudence, courage, temperance and justice, which allow us to excel in uh, human action. But here, the virtues are not so much a matter of action, but rather of apprehension and even of contemplation. Aesthetic properties are response-dependent. It means that they are powers of producing responses in perceivers. This apprehension and contemplation, but also appreciation, presuppose the ability to respond to the aesthetic properties of things and works of art. The virtues of which I speak are precisely dispositions to answer appropriately to aesthetic properties of works of art and natural things. These virtuous, these virtuous responses, because appropriate, constitute a fundamental aspect of a person's flourishing. And then aesthetic virtues are themselves disposition to adequately respond to aesthetic properties. It is not enough to have senses to apprehend aesthetic properties. There must be certain intellectual and likely 
ethical dispositions and they must function at their best, making us, in passing, better humans. What then are the virtues at work in the apprehension of aesthetic properties. I see no reason to add to the traditional types of virtues, the theological, moral, and intellectual virtues. The aesthetic virtues through which we identify works of art and respond appropriately through which we are sensitive to the aesthetic properties of natural things, these virtues are nothing else than the intellectual virtues and moral virtues, and even, I guess, the theological virtues, at least in certain cases. Certain case. But when the apprehension of aesthetic properties is at stake, I propose to call them aesthetic. What makes them aesthetic is intellectual sensitivity to aesthetic properties. So I have not to elaborate a specific list of aesthetic virtues. The aesthetic virtues are the same as those by which we excel intellectually and morally and even theologically, those which ensure our flourishing as human beings. To flourish is for a being to realize its own nature. That the apprehension of aesthetic properties consists in a virtuous response signifies that this apprehension is part of the realization of our nature. As they are understood here, virtues are traits of character well entrenched in their processes to notice, expect, value, feel, desire, choose, act, react in certain characteristic ways. To possess a virtue is to be a certain sort of person. Virtues are excellent dispositions by which we realize at best what we are. And aesthetics virtues are also means for us to have a good aesthetic life and then to be a good person. This signifies that the theory of virtues is directly, directly linked to a metaphysical anthropology. A metaphysical anthropology which tells what kind of beings are human beings and to general metaphysics which tells what kind of things exist in the world and what their nature, natures are. This anthropological and metaphysical character of the proposed account can be explained this way. When we understand, <coughs> for example, that an image is sad or is funny, we apprehend non-material properties. What we understand is this image meaning. To be able to catch this meaning, we must possess certain skills or competencies, some of which are cultural and historical. It, in most cases, without these skills, it is in particular impossible for us to grasp 
what the work of art means. And it is the same with respect to the aesthetic properties of natural things. However, emphasizing these skills and competencies, we answer the question of, of how the apprehension of aesthetic properties is possible. We do not say why we apprehend these properties. To answer this question of finality, the question why, one must invoke the aesthetic virtue. The apprehension of the aesthetic properties of the things around us is one of the ways in which our human nature is realized in the exercise of virtue. But if we have virtues, it is because we are the kinds of beings we are. This is the reason why aesthetic, aesthetics and philosophy of art presuppose a metaphysical anthropology basically I think that of requirement. Now this metaphysical perspective about art leads us also to abandon another dogma of modern aesthetics and even of modern self. The dogma that our aesthetic life and the arts would possess an intrinsic value. It is a romantic thesis that has spread and been broadly adopted. It leads to a kind of cult of art and to the idea that nothing would be preferable to aesthetic enjoyment. I do not think that it is true for the following reason. If the apprehension of aesthetic properties supposes the exercise of virtues, our aesthetic life can also and often consist in the development of aesthetic vices. As virtues respond to properties, vices, vices are also human responsive to certain properties of things and persons, and as well to aesthetic properties of works of art. It entails that our aesthetic life and even works of art are not intrinsically good. Our aesthetic life and works of art are good or bad according to the responses, virtuous or vicious, which they solicit from us. This means, to be completely clear, that art can be quite bad. It does not mean without aesthetic properties, but intellectually and morally bad. It can corrupt us so far from realizing our nature at its best. Following Tolstoy, I even think, contrary to the sculpt of art and aesthetic sensibility so widespread in our time, that art very often is quite bad and always has to be handled with some caution. Art can sadly be the occasion for human sensible and intellectual responses in which we degrade ourselves. It is even possible and very common that the same work may be the subject of vicious or of vicious or virtuous answers. The aesthetic disgust of a work that deserves this reaction is virtuous, and the, appre uh, the appreciation of a work 
that does not deserve this reaction is vicious. It means also that as artistic and aesthetic evaluation of works is in solidarity with a perfectionist moral anthropology. Works of art can play a role in the full realization of our rationality as an essential part of our mode of being. But in this regard, in this regard, works have an ambivalent value. It also means that an important part of a good aesthetic life is to understand what a work means and to evaluate whether it deserves the aesthetic attention it demands from us. That is always the case. Uh, that is uh, not always the case that uh, it deserves our attention. It is also uh, that virtues are modalities of our appetite or desire. This means that the solicitation by works of art and also by natural things of the virtues which I call aesthetics, aesthetic is above all an improvement of what we are as beings of desire. When we respond to aesthetic properties it is because they attract they attract us. This attraction, in the better case, better cases, perfects us by the virtues that they require. But it supposes from our part an effort, an effort of understanding and so of rationality. It supposes more precisely an effort of discernment, an ability to distinguish what have worked and what have not worked. And I repeat, this aesthetic attraction can also be for the worst when we are enabled to do the distinction. I will now add something quite important about what happens when our aesthetic life is for the best. Leaving aside the cases, which are numerous, I repeat, when it is not so successful as that. I think that what I've said, uh, what I've said uh, by criticizing uh, the possibility of uh, that art is always good is very, very unfresh. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> good in general and good in our aesthetic life and in art can be understood according to what Aquinas calls the gradation to be found in sense. This notion of gradation appears in a well-known passage of the Summa Theologiae when Aquinas presents five proofs of the existence of God and this passage has been called the fourth way. I just recall you the text, I suppose uh, you know it perfectly well, but I will read it. Among beings, there are some more and some less good, true, noble, and the like. But more and less are predicated of different things according as they resemble in their different ways something which is the maximum. As a thing is said to be hotter according as it more nearly resembles that which is hottest, so that there is something which is truest, something best, 
something noblest and consequently something which is uttermost being. For those things that are greatest in truth are greatest in being, as it is written in Metaphysics, in Aristotle's Metaphysics, Book 2. Now, the maximum in any genus is the cause of all in that genus, as fire, which is the maximum heat, is the cause of all hot things. Therefore, <coughs> there must also be something which is to all beings the cause of their being, goodness, and every other perfection, and this we call God. Well, in this text, the predicate seated by uh, Aquinas, good, true, and noble, do not include aesthetic properties, not even beauty. However, is it not possible to consider that any positive property characterizing a significant non-material reality in this world enters into the scheme proposed by Aquinas? This would probably be the case for the features of the beautiful given by St. Thomas himself. Radiance, proportion or harmony, integrity or perfection. They are perfections in the things which possess them and we are capable of apprehending, that is to say, of having answers appropriate to such perfections. <coughs> we could thus say about the aesthetic properties, those cited by Aquinas, but others as well, that they are realized as the maximum of perfection in what is the cause of their being. Aesthetic properties are, in this case, like the good, the true, and the noble, predicated to a certain degree through natural beauty and aesthetic properties of works of art. What is thus solicited is a certain desire in the works of Aquinas in the passage of the Summa Theologiae already quoted, it is a desire for, I quote, something which is to all beings the cause of their being, goodness, and every other perfection. Thus, our rational appetite, aesthetically solicited, our appetite for the aesthetic values of natural things and works of art would be a form of ascension towards the divine. Let us say it is a desire for God. My argument is thus the following. First point. We apprehend real perfections in things and aesthetic qualities are such perfections. Second point, such an apprehension supposes our own perfection and this perfection consists in the exercise of our virtues which are excellences of our nature. Third point, we are then better by being attracted by what is best, aesthetic, intentional, or spiritual properties. Fourth point, 
the higher degree of this perfection by which we are attracted and whose attraction enhances us is the cause of all perfection in God. Fifth point, a successful aesthetic life is a form of desire for God, for God as the source of all goodness. It is in this sense that aesthetic life can be thought as a mark of the divine. This double perfection in things and in us thus indicates the highest perfection and, as Aquinas says, a fullness of reality or being. Works of art and our aesthetic life are linked to, to the divine, at least I insist, in the best of cases. Our virtues order our sensitive and intellectual appetite to perfections in sense. Perfection is ordained to what, to that which is the cause of all perfection, the perfect being itself. That is why and how our aesthetic life is a form of desire for God. For that reason also, for that reason also works of art have more reality or being than many natural things because of the role they can play, even if not always nor often, in our own perfecting as human beings. And works of art can make us manifest what is in us the best, our rationality as image of uh, in us of the divine. If works of art and aesthetic perfections are more valuable and uh, have more existence than many other properties in the world, especially material properties, then there is a being whose worth is supreme and the aesthetic perfection in him are realized at their highest. In God, however, this perfection is not realized as a property. God does not possess beauty. God is beauty. So, by beauty, we cannot understand here a sensible quality, but what is the most intelligible and identical then to the good and to the true. Consequently, if art and aesthetic life are ways to perfect our human nature, then this activity of apprehending aesthetic properties of things is closely related to our desire for God. I mean God as the source of all perfection and of all values and perfection in things, including aesthetic ones. To say it uh, more directly and simply, our ability to locate aesthetic properties in the world, the production of works of art functioning aesthetically, is understood here as a desire for the divine within us. By ascribing, inf by inscribing meaning into material things, aesthetic life is a contemplative life, and this is what makes it divine, at least as much as it is possible for beings such as ourselves during our terrestrial life. I will now try to summarize the main ideas of my lecture. What interests me is the answer to the question why regarding art and aesthetic life 
what is the sufficient condition of art and aesthetic life? The notion of virtuous aesthetic life advantageously replaces, I think, that of aesthetic experience. The later suggests, suggests a form of subjectivism and idealism, including the idea that aesthetics experience is something hidden in us which seems to me uh, to be an obstacle to a good <coughs> understanding of what happens really in aesthetic life. It is an ability, the aesthetic life is an ability to correctly and it means rationally grasp the aesthetic properties of things and to discern their meanings and values. It is a question of mental acts, not of mental states. And in the best case, living an aesthetic life means having both a better human life that requires virtues and initiates a relation with God as the nature of all perfections, so one's aesthetic virtues permit us to discern. Well, uh, of course, some philosophers today are also tempted to say that aesthetics and artistic behaviors are universal and foundational to human nature, like I do. But they think it has nothing to do with our relationship with God. For them, these behaviors would be the products of evolution or at least the byproducts of evolution. This is a way to answer the question why, which consists in making a genealogy of art, and for contemporary thinkers, genealogy often consists of an evolutionary conception. It is also a naturalist conception in the sense that it tries to explain aesthetics without appealing to anything that is supernatural and it considers that the data of explanation are found in the natural sciences, especially in the theory of evolution. The whole question is then whether this naturalism is correct. Even if I will not explain why here, it would be long, but uh, I have, the, in fact, the kind of reasons given by C.S. Lewis, for example. The account I proposed shows evidently that I think that naturalism is a blind alley if we want to explain what art is and why we have an aesthetic life. Another way to answer the question why about art and aesthetic life is to make, to make them social practices. It is another way to defend the idea we already met at the beginning of my paper that art does not really exist because it is only we during our aesthetic experience who see things as works of art. Often, it is added that aesthetic experience is purely subjective, that it corresponds to no reality in the world. Then we cannot answer the question, this question, why there is art. At least we cannot give a sufficient reason for <coughs> either art or our rational appetite for aesthetic property. This account is a fundamentally idealistic one. Art and aesthetic are ultimately ideas projected on things and they only belong to the mental world. They do not help knowing anything about how the world is and why it is 
as it is. If Y asks here for a sufficient condition and not simply to a dubious genealogy or to the idea that art is a concept corresponding exclusively to social practices, we are led to accept two metaphysical ideas, which unfortunately, I think, disappeared from recent philosophy, but which surfaced in the conception I propose. First, the idea that all that exists enters uh, a scale of beings, even a hierarchy of beings. There exists between all things a relation of convenience and harmony and oriented order. Secondly, the idea of finality. It is the idea of an essential relation between all things of this world, as opposed to a world made up of distinct entities having only external relations as described by physical sciences. The question is then, why in this hierarchy of all things is man himself a producer or creator of artifacts and works of art? And the question is also why man is able to give a symbolic and aesthetic meaning to material things like natural things and artifacts. The answer we must give of, uh, to the questions why there is art and why we have an aesthetic life is not different from the answer to the question why there is a word and what is the purpose of everything in creation. This means that the philosophy of art and aesthetics are part of metaphysical anthropology. It questions the nature of man. It is part also of general metaphysics which questions the nature of what exists fundamentally if we accept the metaphysical idea that there exists a chain between all things, there is also a link between art, aesthetic properties, and God as the ultimate reason for all things. Why do rational animals such as we are are able to understand that a sunset is grand or a picture is sad. My answer is that by understanding that they are, human beings manifest a rational sensitivity to the meaning of the things that surround them. Beyond what natural things and artifacts are, rational beings understand what they mean, not just literally, as it happens when we read a map, but metaphorically, as when we think that a sunset, a sunset is grand or a picture is sad. Rational sensibility to the meaning of things, in particular the aesthetic meanings, amounts to apprehending a kind of non-material reality. This non-material aesthetic reality is of a higher perfection than material reality. The aesthetic properties of things are thus testimonies of a higher perfection and even of the highest divine perfection. This is why 
our apprehension of these properties when appropriate is also a form of desire for God. And as far as art is concerned, I think this is its sufficient and cultivate reason. Well, I started uh, from the fact that we read novels and poetry, that we visit museums and exhibitions, cities and important monuments, that we listen to music, and I asked why. My answer is <coughs> because of what we are, rational animals, and it seems to me quite reasonable to have because of the divine destination of our lives. Thank you.